0: Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Hey, this time out on Open Trailer Podcast, it's stage number two of my conversation with Dick Fowler. This time out, we'll pick up right where we left off, which was in the middle of the boys' racing careers. Uh, Jason and the Funkmaster Flex race, That, uh, that was an interesting experience for anybody that was involved. Mike does some driving, eventually buys his dad's team. One of the reasons why I really enjoyed having Mr. Fowler on the podcast was... It's interesting when someone is at a certain level in a community and really doesn't say much about it. So when he doesn't say much about it, a lot of, I wouldn't say rumors get started. But, uh, you know, people will whisper and say, well, this must be happening. Or, hey, oh, yeah, I bet you here's what I heard. Well, who'd you hear it from? Well, you know, a guy, a lot of misinformation. And, and hey, maybe you've done it. I don't know. It was cool to hear Dick talk about his lack of involvement with uh, the race team once Mikey and Travis took over. There, yeah, I called him Mikey. I knew that was going to happen. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Also, uh, the night that the information regarding Beach Ridge was dropped, um, one of the most common takes in the Beach Ridge The Next Chapter series was, well, how did... Glenn not know or how did Nick not know or Dan Walker or or Dick Fowler well for the very first time Dick tells his side of the story and it's quite epic this will be the final episode of season 2 of Open Trailer Podcast so I want to thank you for your support Uh, And, you know, I'd love for this to be a year-round project. The purpose of this is to honor legacies, and to anybody who's done a podcast or anything like this knows that it's just simply not turning on the microphone and talking to people. Uh, There's a lot involved, and to do it right... um I just would feel kind of cheap if we were just throwing it together every single week. Uh, Towards the end of it, it was getting to be that way anyway. So there will be a season three. So uh, thank you for your support, whether you're contributing to mainvintagerace.org. A couple of new members signed up in the last few weeks. Or you're uh, helping out this podcast directly by going to patreon.com slash Podcast. Either way, uh, for the podcast, all the money that you contribute goes back into uh, whether it's marketing traveling equipment um yeah 100% of the proceeds again to uh making this thing sing and there will be a season 3 you know, I don't know if you heard that notification there but that's funny that I'm wrapping up the podcast here and uh that was from Joe over at Lee USA Speedway who I'm now working with with him and his team but as of this recording, we start the season in a few days. So uh, we're just finalizing everything. And again, one of the reasons why we're not doing the podcast year-round is because um, everything kind of has to live in its own place. And I really want to focus on making uh, Lee the experience that uh, that I know that we can as a, as a broadcast team. So we're, uh, as of this recording, laying the groundwork for that. But yes, uh, I don't know when the season's going to come back. I would hope by January 1st it probably won't be any later than that. So uh, one last thing before we get to Dick Fowler. It's funny. When um, when you're asked about your life and anybody that you want to thank, you're probably only going to remember 30 or 40 percent of them. The human brain can only retain so much information. Uh, But Dick is full of gratitude, and we recorded the actual episode probably about four or five weeks ago, and we've all been in conversations where you'll say A, B, C, and then drive home, on the drive home, you'll remember D, you'll be laying in bed and not be able to sleep, and remember E, and driving to work the next day, and definitely remember F. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, not everybody, just because you aren't thanked in the episode doesn't mean that the guest isn't thankful for you. It's uh, it's just almost impossible to remember everyone, especially when you've had a career as long as Dick Fowler has. I think this person is relevant to um, uh, the recent history of Maine racing. He's been a driver at Beach Ridge. And really for those who were around that facility, uh, this kid, I say kid because he started when he was really young, is someone that has touched the entire Fowler family's heart. And Dick wanted to take a second to recognize Alex Lacanata, who started working on the farm when he was 10 years old. Matter of fact, Robbie Moulton's wife, Susan, said, hey, there's a nice little boy who'd love to work on the farm. He'd be a good worker. And Dickie said, I'm not doing a daycare. Well, that boy turned out to be Alex Lacanada. The boys Jason and Mike put him to work cleaning the race car because he was interested in racing. He says he fired young Alex two times, but he loved being around the race shop so much that in 2009, Alex became part of the pit team. Snuck into the pits under age, and was part of that uh, that dream season in 2009. He attended college to learn about racing and graduated, moved to North Carolina, worked his way up to becoming a crew member of the Daniel Suarez car, Trackhouse Racing. Now, many of you already know this part. This is why Dickie wanted uh, this antidote in the episode. So, one hour before the Daytona 500 green flag was to fly, uh, Dick's phone rang, and it was Alex Lacanata on pit road of the daytona 500 on the biggest day of his racing career thanking Dickie, wendy jason mike everybody in the family for getting him to where he is today and he says i thought that was very special my third son made it to the big time and thought of us in that moment so there it is it's uh you know racing his family last names doesn't matter it's uh, what's close to your heart. So, with that said, let's get into it. It's uh, stage number two of Open Trailer Podcast. Uh, you know things are going strong. Uh, you know for the team in two thousand nine, though, you um, you got you come back with Mike Rowe, right? Yeah. I hear that number twenty-four, Mike Rowe and and the Fowler team are teaming up together, and I'm like, this is going to be mega. <laughs> Andy Cusack actually let me know. I forget if it was a phone message or a text message. I remember looking at my phone and I was like, wow, this is going to be something because I I was coming back that year,
1: and boy, what a year 2009 was. Yeah, uh, you know, I said one we were a domination. I mean, we had a great cast, Spanky called me up and runs the parts store and wanted to know, you know, what your plans were for next year because I had just bought a car in 2008, the last race sale. I can't remember the kid that owned it, but he uh he moved on and uh, I bought that car. And Spanky, you know, gave me a call and says, "Hey, uh, you want to sit down and talk with uh, Mike Rowe? He's looking for a ride." And at the time, <laughs> I was. Did you know Mike? No no not really i I knew mike oh because of racing and stuff i knew him but no to sit down and have lunch with him and all that stuff Mm. no no spanky got us hooked up with that and uh then it was on we go you Mm -hmm. know the boys uh jason and mikey were both crew in the car uh they wanted to you know they didn't mikey didn't have the urge to drive because hmm. Mike had been driving
0: too, we don't leave Mike you know, exactly too no, much. Yeah. I mean, Mike yeah. was a great Thursday Thunder truck driver. I think he was a champion. Yeah, he, well, was I, he? no,
1: he wasn't champion. No, wasn't. Well, I come out with. Uh, I saw. You know, the then try. Everybody had S tens and Ford ranges and stuff. Well, I said. I call Russ. Not nut. Russ. Russ, what? What will go good besides a Ford or a Chevy? Well, I think that Volkswagen bug. I can't even remember what they called them. It was a Volkswagen though. Volkswagen truck. Yeah, Volkswagen yeah. truck. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just didn't have enough power, for, not for them, Chevys and Fords. Yeah. He won the first race. He did win his first race. Yeah, but I knew they were coming. You know. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he does a little bit of racing, and but you really don't run a full year until I mean, unless, unless I'm missing a few years. Did you run at full time at all in the early 2000s? 2000?
1: No, I got done in 2000. Three, I think. I think, yeah, because Mike and Mike and Jason raced at the same time. Jason was racing Pro Stocks, and Mike was racing uh, Mm -hmm. Limiteds. And in two thousand one, they both won on Father's Day, which that was a very special win for us. I was going to ask you about
0: that. I knew it happened somewhere, and uh, when you were inducted into the Main Motorsports Hall of Fame, you brought this up. And we haven't yet told your entire story about with Mike Rowe and, and the Beach Ridge stuff, but we've already covered a lot of what you've done as a driver and, yeah. and owner and, and you know some of the highs that you've had. That day was, at the time that you told me, was the best day you've ever had as a human being involved with racing.
1: Yes, when it both really of, was.
0: When both of your
1: sons won on the same night. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean... It was just regular racing, you know what I mean? Jason hit went out first, and it was a 50-lapa. Hmm. And he happened to win that race, and I got two or three texts. Hey, what can Mikey get this? We are having bets over so <laughs> in the bar and stuff. I said, "Now was he driving your car? Or was he driving for somebody else?" He was driving. It was Randy Hyman's car. That's why. Yeah, Randy Hyman. They. He, he, I think he won six races that year. Got thrown out one race because he had soft tires. <laughs> <laughs> Damn tech guy. Oh, I yeah. know. But that was Malcolm. They they yeah. did what they did. They broke they broke the tires down, and there yeah. was a juice coming out of the tires. And I and I was very very disappointed Mikey yeah. I really was I said Jesus you know did he know I think he knew yeah yeah, yeah. him and another guy I'm not saying that other guy I won't throw him under the bus that's okay yeah he uh you know they, Beach Ridge they, they, closed they, they, Dickie so yeah, we can they, we can out anybody oh, we want now I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no we uh I, I'm Anyway, no, so
0: yeah, that, so yeah. The, let's, let's not taint the, the night itself, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's had a lot of great success, but it was something about that one night. What was that, what was going through, I'm pointing to my chest here. Right. What is going inside, going oh, on
1: inside your chest during that race? I was just so proud, you know, I was in tears really, you know what I mean? Mm. To go out in the infield after, let's go take a picture of this, boys. And I got that big picture mm. hanging on in my office, I mean, with both of them standing there with both wins. It was very special. And yep. at the time, I don't know when the last time someone had done that. They were trying to figure it out uh, I think it was the uh, Tangway boys or something like that. But since then, uh, you know, a couple guys have won uh, a pro stock race and a and a sports series. Sports series race. Barker did it last Barker year. Barker did it. Then mm-hmm. Joey ended up doing it.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. So
1: there's two guys in in one year ended up doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, I mean, amazing. It was just special for, for me being the dad. And on Father's Day, it, it that was the one, you know.
0: Yeah, if you were to take one day out of your existence on this planet,
1: where does that day rank? That, after Mike Rowe winning, after my son's death, and taking that JRF flag around there, that really mm. was in my heart and still is. Mm. But... Uh, That was a very special day at that time, early two thousands. But in two thousand four, you guys do that Funk Master Flex race in Connecticut. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, where you guys went down there and had a blast. Jason
0: uh, set fast
1: time, set fast time, got twenty five hundred dollar check and a big nice leather coat that it was (laughs) fourteen sizes too big for him. Yeah, but no, it was twenty five hundred to win the pole, and we beat uh, uh, what was a modified guy that just said Teddy Christopher. Teddy Christopher, yeah, he set outside pole. Yeah. Then wow. they redrew. We ended up starting seventh, I think, or eighth. What was that experience like, the Funkmaster Flex? Oh, it was fun. You're racing for, a you know, a, uh, like an antique car, you know, a sports series car, or a Camaro. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Camaro. I think it was a 68 Camaro, all built up and everything. That was going to the winner. What,
0: uh, what happened to you guys that day?
1: Oh, he, uh, Christ, it was early in the race, too. He got, he got he went down to the bottom and just wasn't enough room there and he got turned around and someone hit the radiator and it did last long. So winning, mm. the, winning the pole, that was, a, that was our biggest... Yeah,
0: he went down there and the said fast time, you yeah, know, set, a, amongst time. all these guys like yeah. Teddy Christopher. And they were like at
1: guys back then. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about some of the highs there and, of course, winning on Father's Day and you mentioned uh, Jason passing away. You know, this is about legacy. What I want to know from you, from his father... What do you think he would be doing today? What kind of person do you think Jason Fowler would be today? I think he'd be a good racer. You he would? You think he would come back to racing? Yeah, I do. Because hmm. yeah. he had taken some
1: time off. And Took he be- some time off, But he yeah. became
0: a tire specialist. That guy was... Oh, he
1: loved doing the tires, too. Yeah. But I think uh, he'd want to come back racing and stuff. No, if, mm. if his health was right and everything, yeah, I, I wouldn't put him in if he wasn't healthy and 100%. But... Uh, was no. his
0: health starting to come back?
1: Yeah, on the fence mm-hmm. on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one to. I'm not sure because you know they kept their uh, privacy and all that stuff, yeah, and they I were old enough, that. and yeah. kids are kids, and uh, he made some bad choices, and
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and but I think he wanted to come back. Yeah. yeah, I think he, you know, seeing Mike Rowe have all that excess, you know, I think he, but he really loved he loved Mike. You know, he, he he was there for Mike, and Mike was there for him. I would run into
0: him uh, on a weekly basis away from the racetrack. Yeah. I would see him downtown in Portland, and we would talk about that race team, that yeah. magical 2009 The dream season. team, they called it. Where you guys win seven races, I think in a row. Yes. Like
1: in nine races for the whole year.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was the secret sauce of that year? Oh.
1: It, everything just come together I had Danny Morgan helping me and my two boys Mikey Mikey was really calling the shots and Turbo and it, everything just clicked I mean mm.
0: what was it like to watch Mike develop into a leader of of your race team very proud yeah of Mikey yeah, Mikey mm. picked up on that you still call him Mikey yeah, Mikey. Yeah, 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 Mikey. It's funny yeah. the the Mikey and the Joey. You mentioned yeah, Joey Pastore. Yeah. I've specifically asked each one of those guys is like, "What would you like to be known as?" Because obviously, in, under my watch as a race announcer, um, you know, I've asked that. I'm like, yeah. "What do you want to be called?" You know, and Joe's like, "I want to be called Joe." Okay, cool. Mike. I want to be called Mike and you yeah. still call him Mike yeah, well, I, I guess I guess the yeah. parents
1: can do what they want yeah. to do I guess oh no, yeah you get the no no he took it up he he really learned a lot on it and he worked good with Mike you mm-hmm. know being Mike's crew chief you know we a young age and stuff so
0: you get that championship
1: and in nine, yeah yeah
0: and then um you know you'd get another one um in 2013 but in between then uh, we lose Jason But there's that just emotional night where Mike Rowe goes out and destroys the field. Uh, Can you tell me about that night?
1: Was that in 13?
0: I believe it was uh, in 11. Oh, in 11. 11 or 12.
1: No, no, excuse me. You're right. 13. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, 13. Jason passed in 2012, but Mm.
0: uh, it was the first race of the 2013 season, if I remember right. Yeah. Or it might have been Father's Day. It might have been Father's Day. I know it was sometime early in thirteen. Now,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I can go look it up.
1: Yeah, I, I probably I can't remember all of them, but yeah. I mean, it, it was very special. And you know, and Mike said it was one of his, you know, proudest races that he raced. You know, Mike Rose. Mm. He's, he's, you know, Mike's a tough racer and a good racer. But as far as a family man, he's really a great family man.
0: Did you see a different side of him when you started working together? Uh, well, I him? never,
1: I never saw the other side. You know, a lot of people uh, say, you know, you know you've heard, heard of, of the other, other side. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even today, I mean, even a couple of races, a couple of years ago, you know, if someone gives him a little, mm-hmm. he, he'll go bop him. Yeah. You know, he, why not? <laughs> Mike's right. Mike. Yeah. You know, what I mean, don't get near him. You know, don't come looking for him. Yeah. But no, he was, he was, he was, he was a. He was a, he was a, he was a Great racer and very competitive, and that's all he did was racing. Racing. He didn't fish, he didn't do this and that, and mm. Mike was all about racing. So, for Jason's legacy that year, you guys uh, get a, a car for the Oxford 250. Yes, yeah. That hey. was, yeah, that was, uh, I knew a lot of people down there. You know, I knew Rex Garrett, Stevie Levitt. We're talking about mid Atlantic, uh, North Carolina area? Yeah, North Carolina area, yeah. And, uh, Lauren Hamilton was down there working and stuff. And uh, I uh, made a few phone calls. I made a phone call to Stevie hmm And he said, hey, we'd like to do something for you, you know, for your boy and stuff. And I want to build you a race car. Stevie always wanted to build me one because when Stevie left Maine to go to North Carolina, he built my last race car in 1992. Okay. And, and I, it was a beautiful car. I mean, we won a lot of races in 92. And, uh. He just, you know, gave me a call and, you know, condolences and all that stuff and we got on got talking and I'd like to build you another one and and you know, we tried it and a lot of everybody donated down there, you know, from Kevin Hughes, you know, putting all the radios in it down there and getting the motor and Warren Hamilton lettering it and uh, Stevie putting all his time in it. I know I'm probably gonna forget somebody, but mm. it was everything. It was a lot of stuff was just donated and out of respect for my family. Yeah. And for one day, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't
0: R J F Motorsports. Was it? It. I mean, it was J R F Motorsports.
1: Oh, J R F. Yeah. Yes. Was it? Was it just for that one day? Oh, I always kept that on the car. I mean, the J R F. Okay. Yeah. We had the flag and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was
0: that Oxford 250 like? I, didn't, I know you well, didn't have the results that you no, wanted. No, we
1: didn't. No, we had yeah. the car, and, geez, we couldn't get the car to come back up. You know, I had a guy down down New Hampshire build the shocks and stuff. He built them for us. He was a nice, good Jamie. Mm. And just Mike just wasn't comfortable in it. I don't know if it was the way the seat was in it or what. We never went down to have him fitted, and that makes a big difference. I got, a driver's got to be comfortable. And I think that was part of, the, part of the problem with it. He never got comfortable in that car.
0: Do you think it was because he
1: knew what that car meant to one of his friends? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he tried. He he gave it one hundred and ten percent. I'm just, sure. Just couldn't get it to go. So we had one uh, Beetridge the night before that race with my Saturday night Beetridge car, and we get up there and we change engines and put the good engine in the Saturday night car from Beetridge. Mm. and I think we ended up fifth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Mike ends up winning another championship
1: in, in that. Um, yeah, what t- happens after that? You you sell. I, you? I, in two thousand thirteen uh, 2014, Mikey drove. I let Mikey drive it a year, maybe two. I can't remember if it was 2014 or 15.
0: Oh, the 66, black 66? Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: That the one that Mike drove prior to that, when it was 24, I put 66 on it. Cause I had the boys their own numbers Hmm. you know 33 you know that was mine jason would be 88 mikey be 66 i wanted him their own identity you know did they ever want to be the 33 no not really they wasn't go-karts they both were both were 33 yeah Yeah. but now they wanted their own numbers you know they picked their own numbers i think jason liked dale jr so (laughs) he was 88 he was uh 88 before dale jr was (laughs) yeah probably yeah Yeah, he was Yeah, yeah he was yeah and uh I had thirty three because I was a big fan of Harry Gantt. which
0: is oh yeah yeah. I was gonna say it's ironic because his dad was a three car Dale yeah. Junior's dad yeah. obviously, and yeah. I'm just stretching a little bit, but still there's some yeah. lineage there. Um, so you you know so
1: you um, why did you sell? Uh, I th- thought I kind of had enough, and at that time, I thought I was losing a little bit of touch with the way racing was going. Mm. You know, it was getting a little more expensive. And you almost had to hire a guy sometimes, and which I did sometimes. I'd have Seth come down and do my shocks and stuff. and It was just kind of getting expensive and expensive and expensive. So I uh, thought it was time for the boys to take over. And Mikey had a good friend, Travis. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Travis won't, you know, buy, bought me out. So him and Mikey continued. They are 50-50. So I got out of it after 2014. I sold it to them, gave them a good deal on it, you know everything, truck, trailer, welders. So everything. the whole kit and caboodle gone, yeah, wow, Yep, yeah, gone.
0: What was that like to watch it just
1: kind of roll out of the out of the shop? Oh, it, it was it was a little bit of sad, but I, I had enough. I you know I started way young, and mm. I don't know if I had thirty years in it or not, but it was enough but time for yeah. the bo- time for the boys to take over,
0: mm. and
1: uh, Mikey to be a car owner, and Travis was a. He he was a nice guy, and mm. I thought it was going in good hands. But you're not done. No, you're not done. Oh, no, I didn't get done, no. In 2015, I uh, took the job as uh, competition director for Beatridge. How did that come together? I kind of had... I, I knew they were struggling a little bit with it, and I loved Ralph and Jane Cusack. You know, really, that was... They, they were the, they were two of the people that I really inspect uh, respected, mm. and they were just such great people i thought i'd give something back you know you know tell them that i'd be available for that job hmm. there was uh, i think it was one of the uh, babinos that was doing it and uh, he was doing it all alone and it's a tough job you know it, why is it so tough to be a, a competition director well someone's got to be the bad guy you know if someone ain't got something right on their car uh, the motor isn't legal uh tires are funny uh, you got to be the one to be the bad guy and tell them that, you know, we're not going to put up with this or we're not going to deal with this. And I'm sorry, but I'm taking your points and your purse tonight. But I had a great team behind me. I had Mike Fields that helped me and Adam Rickey and uh, Jody and Glenn and Sonny with tires and Carlos.
0: What is the fine line or is there a fine line between looking at a competitor and saying, all right, you're on the edge. You're technically illegal, but I know your situation and you didn't mean to do that. Is there some gray area where you're like, you know the person and you're like, mm, I can see that that wasn't deliberate.
1: Yeah. I, w- I mean, you got to look at everything. You know what I mean? Do you look at each case individually? Kind of. I mm-hmm. really do. I mean, I didn't really tolerate anybody with juice and tires. Mm-hmm. That was number one. And number two was uh, a motor having having a big motor, and it really only affected the lower division, the Thunder classes. It was a 305 class. Some guys would come in with a 350, and we could tell. We, Mike Fields and I could stand there, uh, Adam. Uh, hey, this guy's pulling mm. off pulling a lot down the str- front straightaway. That's where we would kind of catch him. And uh, that's those are the things I didn't tolerate: motors and tires. Mm. Who
0: was the, i uh, the no, not say the, you don't have to bring the name up, but is there one situation where you're like, you son of a gun, you know what you're doing, you're out of here?
1: No, not really. Everybody no. was pretty good? It was pretty good. I think yeah. I I I think I had a lot of respect. I mean, there wasn't many nights, you know, and we didn't throw a lot of people out. We gave them benefit of the doubt and say, hey, fix it and bring it back next week, mm. you know. There was a lot of DQs. There was probably 15 or 20 that <laughs> yeah. had to be DQ'd, but yeah. there was reasons for it. You
0: were competition director right up to the end of the 2021 season. And yes. you and I would be getting ready for 2022 at the right. time of this recording, but we're not doing that because obviously there is uh, not a beach ridge to be had this year as far as competition goes. And that night was something that I think everybody, and there were 1,000 to 1,500 people on that front stretch. Each one of those people will remember who they were with, what they felt, and what was going through their mind that night when that news dropped from Andy Cusack. What was your perspective? We've done this, we've spent this entire episode talking about How a person who started when they were nine selling programs, owned cars, had one of his most proud human moments with his sons winning on the racetrack, uh, losing family members, and now all of a sudden it's going away. What was going through your mind that
1: night? Oh, I was sick to my stomach. I remember that night right to the T. Yeah, just like 9-11 I know where I was when 9-11 happened where right. I was standing in my living room when that happened this was on September 11th as well it really was it but yeah. geez I, I never picked up on that yeah. yeah I was talking in the pits for 20 minutes with uh Adam uh Lovejoy I was late getting over there because Andy said we had you know you, had, you and Glenn get over there because I want you shaking everybody's hand off the steps and all that stuff and on the way over Gary Babineau caught me I was talking to him in the infield and stuff and I got a tap on the shoulder and he Andy says, uh, come over here for a minute. I want you over here, you and Glenn. And uh, I walked over there and he says, I'm telling you right now, this track is sold and an out of state developer. And I, I didn't know what to say. I says, who, who who bought it? He says, don't ask any questions. You'll find out like everybody else. Hmm. And I was Pissed, I, I was boiling. You know, instant rage. In, instant rage, right? I I had to do my job because I wanted to have the Gary Smiths, the Kennedy kid, have their night, pass them the trophies, tell them how good a job they did. But deep down inside, I was sick to my stomach. Uh, I, I, I we, we went through it. We played all through it. You know, we did the whole deal. You know, it was tough for you, tough for everybody. But uh I, I just no way did I think anybody could ever do that. I was very, very disappointed. I had rule meetings that morning with all the Thunder teams, you know, at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock over in the bar. Had a staff meeting earlier with Andy that morning with me B, Andy and Junior and uh Glenn. We always get together every every right. race. What are you guys talking about that morning? just normal stuff what was going to happen and how, mm-hmm. how we wanted the, the wards and about the racing how tight the points were because the last three or four races junior always kept track of if you know the top five are in points if they have a little bit of a spill on the track we're going to give them a couple more laps mm-hmm. and we've done it every year we talk about stuff like that but but i was just i was sick to my stomach i went home and just just couldn't think of think how he had done that uh, the competitors on that night of a championship night there was a better way to do it he texts me uh, Monday morning because we meet every Monday morning after every race Monday morning at 8.30 mm-hmm. we have a meeting just him and I and uh, he texts me and I and he says you coming up? It was 9 o'clock when he texted me no because I was so pissed off walking around, yeah. around my shop mm-hmm. I uh, no I'm not coming up Andy I'll be up in a couple days because one thing you did teach me is before you say something, think about it. Take a couple days to think about it before you make a decision. And I told him I'll be up Wednesday. And uh, it took two or three days. I went up Wednesday morning at 8.30, and uh, he says, hit me with it. The first thing I said, what the hell was you thinking?
0: Mm.
1: Why did you have to do it like that? I said, your parents wouldn't have done it that way. My parents don't own the track. But I just think there was a better way to do it. Why didn't you tell me Saturday morning? You know, tell myself and Junior and Glenn.
0: It Would have made any difference?
1: No, no, it wouldn't have. No. No, he did it that way, and that was the only way he was going to do it. No, it wouldn't have. But I I would have felt better Mm because I thought he played me for the last two months. You know, having those meetings with the lower divisions Mm -hmm. and wasting my time. You know wasting their time for a month after the, this all happened i think people thought i knew it you know to have those meetings and stuff on that saturday morning before and then it, you feel like the bad guy i felt like a bad guy i really did i I, fe- I felt i felt sick and even to this day i wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it that's all i can think about when I'm, someone says beach ridge or something that why did it have to be like that you know why did he have to do it that way? You know he had a great he taught me a lot i mean he taught me a lot about the business and stuff and to, just to go out that way it, everybody you talk to is upset with him but why would you want to leave a legacy like he did he had a great future i mean he had a great uh years in racing i mean he, he was a great promoter at, you know at one time mm-hmm. it needed a little lift at the end of it but you know he played it out and he was a good instructor to us and all the staff and stuff. He had a lot of good ideas. I think it took a couple months for people to realize that no one else knew about it, not even Glenn. Yeah. And uh, I haven't commented on this to anybody really, other than mm-hmm. I'm upset with the way he did it. You know, I told him that morning too. I, I he told me, Look, <coughs> excuse me,
0: mm.
1: light, you know, light right into me. I told him his ego got in the way. I think that's what happened. Mm. I know, and I had a meeting the following Tuesday night. I think we had scheduled for two thousand twenty-two, and he said continue the meeting. He said, "I'll just go there and answer questions," and he did. People, few people asked a few questions and stuff, and I asked him. I happened to ask him, "Did you get burned out?" He didn't like it. I don't know why he didn't like it. I just thought he thought he, well, was he didn't burnt. like your question. He didn't like my question coming from me. Okay, you know that it came from me because he can you you're someone who can probably see through him more than a lot of other people yeah yeah i worked with him so maybe from I I, three or four days a week we we sat down and talked and those last two years wasn't easy in in 2020 and 21 because the tire situation we were we were mm. in we not having enough tires and stuff so him and i spent a lot of time together on the telephone and going to new hampshire going to wiscasset going here and there to pick up tires I yeah. just, I just think, he, I just think he dis, disrespected a lot of people. Mm. You know, stab. That, you know,
0: in that moment, in that moment. And I wonder, and we'll never know. It doesn't really do us any good to ask the question uh, if he would do something different today with the information that he has ingested in the last seven or eight months. Getting back to something we talked about off mic, sometimes we have different thoughts about things, and we think something completely different three months later. Yeah you know um and he was invested in the hard years and i don't know if he
1: gets the credit for that yeah i just you know the 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 man just he did he taught me a lot of stuff and i respected him for everything he did for me and my family and everything and but uh, throw us under the bus that way everybody you know the fans and Mm. uh, the championship night with Gary Smith winning his first championship and Kennedy kid winning his first championship. No, I get it. I don't want
0: to end on that note, you know, because your career is not defined by that one night. No, it goes on for for a long time. Your legacy will continue long after you're not even going to the racetrack anymore. And I know that because I reached out to uh, a key person in your life uh, before uh, recording this to write a few words about you. The man is my hero. He's good at whatever he does and puts 110% into whatever he's doing. He has always been able to get the right people around him to make him successful at whatever he does. From racing to business, if he's going to do something, he does it right. I've taken the skills that I watched and learned from him as a car owner. And Travis and I have been very successful in the short time, we have owned our team as well. He is always willing to help a team or a youngster out whenever he can. Not many people have the accolades that he does in his career, and the way that he carries himself just speaks volumes for the way he presents himself and goes about his business. Mikey Fowler.
1: Hmm. That was very nice. Yep. We're together all day five days a week even during racing season i don't really get into a racing with him i don't we don't even have he taught people probably think that's because uh, they do <laughs> no i let mikey run his team that's his team but he still consults you yes yeah no consults me as far as the team mm. no not at all just about life yeah about life and cars we're going to buy or sell or whatever we're going to go look at no racing i let him do his own thing i i stood back i i when i when i sold it out i didn't i went to the race shop once in 2020 and once last year hmm. to the race shop and it was going up to see how the car was coming during the racing season i stayed right out of it it was his deal yeah never asked me for hardly any advice about something maybe about a motor or something or, but i let the boys do it do it themselves him and travis
0: another person who's been with you this entire journey is your wife wendy yes how'd you guys
1: meet well i used to hang i was a i was a volunteer fireman at the time and i hung around with her her stepfather and two or three others that she lived down to higgins beach and we'd hang out a little bit and have a few beers and stuff and she worked in the chicks variety store down there and she'd come in and i'd come in and have a coffee or something like that And we'd get talking and then she had a little puppy dog a little black lab hmm I worked for Scarborough Public Works way back then, and we had to rake the seaweed and stuff off the beaches and stuff. And man. she'd come down with a dog, and you know, kind of flaunder around a little bit. You are a <laughs> jack of all trades, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Farmer yanking weeds. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But we were we were we were grown up, brought up to to work. Hmm. Anything we had, we bought our own school clothes, everything. So my, she catches your eye. Yeah, she caught my eye. Yeah, she really did yeah took a little while but (laughs) why does that always happen
0: why I don't know it seems like everybody every good love story the the female waits and it's like I don't like you at first but you we just have a way of wearing them down or something
1: yeah Yeah. no how long you been together now uh, 42 years married 42 yeah so 45 I dated we dated for three years before we got married and she's been on my side we've been through a lot a lot of good things and a lot of bad things but uh, could you have gotten through it without her Uh, i don't think so no no we're a team we work side by side seven days a week for over 30 years yeah no we're a team i couldn't done it without her and i don't think she'd say the same thing probably coming back to me it's a good life yeah it was a good life well it is a good life i do i have no regrets i'd do it all over again if if i had the chance even even farming but i like the car business now they call me the car farmer (laughs) <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to the auctions and stuff. It's a good thing because in Maine, car and farm rhymes. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, my, my good friend Pete McConnell taught me the car trade 15 yeah. years ago, and I picked it up. And, yeah, I like it. I really like it. It's like a retirement job, really. That's awesome.
0: Uh, one other thing that, um, last thing I want to hit on is the night that you were inducted into the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame. What was that night like? I mean, to have everything rolled, everything that you accomplished rolled in the one, just one evening.
1: It was very, uh, very tough because I'm I'm kind of an emotional person when it comes to family. And all, you know, my wife and Mikey being in there and, you know, Mike Rowe, Mike Johnson, all my team was there. Do you think that Jason was there? yeah. Yeah. Yes, I do. What about your brother Ricky? Yep, yeah. they yeah. were there to watch you because yeah. yeah. they were part of it. They were part of it, and that, that's where a lot of the emotions came in on my speech. I'm not really that great of a speaker, you know. Andy's taught me a few things, to, you know, to focus on and stuff like that. But uh, that was a very emotional night, and had to get words out because it's coming from your heart. Hmm. I remember Ricky Craven coming up coming up to me after that night because he got inducted the same night and saying. I can tell right there, Dickie, you are a, a family man. Family's first in your book, and it is.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right, man. That is uh, that to me is a wrap. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you in, in your head are like, oh man, we didn't talk about that?
1: No, the only thing I like to talk about is you know what we had that opportunity at Beach Ridge as part of our family and stuff, but. Well, let's that,
0: let's go with that. For yes. example, I mean, it's easy to talk about. Um, you know, we certainly don't want to leave it on a note where um, you know things ended the way they did at Beechridge, right, right? Like I like I said, and I had this thought: maybe the night. Of or the night after, I was able to process it because I think we all knew we'd outlive Beechridge. We just yeah. didn't know it was going to happen so
1: suddenly, right? Right, you
0: know. And in, in the end, you, you won't talk about the destination, but you'll appreciate the journey.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I just felt bad for the young guys that are coming up. You know, the, the young Williams kid and the Smith kid and the Hodgson kid, the Bath brothers—they're just starting out their career. The Kennedy kid, mm. the young Bond kid, and the McCabe boys. You know, mm. they're going to miss the opportunity that we and and their parents had to to call Beechridge their home and have success and win their first championships. And I feel bad for the the young generation coming up, which are good kids and good drivers. I can
0: empathize with that. I think we have a whole new generation. We're just tapping into a a young group of of human beings who love what we have, um, have the fire that we did at their age. Yep they're in a unique situation where when they drive by what used to be Beach Ridge mm. in 35 years, I brought this up to Nate Barth who I think it was all of 15 when he won that race. And I said, when you're this, when you're 35 years from now, you're going to be 50 years old. All right, that's not too old. No. But you're going to say, I won a race there. And it's going to yeah. seem like it was five lifetimes ago to your kids or maybe even your grandkids at that point. I mean, that's... It's special. It has been quite the season, but as I said at the top of the episode, uh, this will be the final one of 2022's season two. Thank you so much for all your support. Go back and listen to episodes that you might have just skimmed over or were multitasking while you were listening. Even if you intently listened to every episode, I mean, I don't think anybody really does that. But if you did, that's awesome. I I guarantee you you go back and you listen to these things because uh, between editing and processing and doing the actual interview, I probably hear each one about five or six times. And each time I listen, I learn something new. And it's uh, always a trip. So, again, thank you for the support. Continue to share. Go back, listen, and uh, you'll find something new. Have a great off season, and we'll see you in Season 3, 3 for Dale. Hey, maybe we'll get Jim Culprit on Season 3 of Open Trailer Podcast. That's a very specific joke to Beach Ridge. So congratulations to you if you got that. You're one of probably 10 or 11 people. Anyway, uh, my name's Andy Austin. It's been a blast this year, and we'll see you next year.